Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? It's doing all right? All right, good. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, having a good time. It's fun getting to know you guys um, and, and seeing already uh, what, what God's doing. God's doing some cool stuff. And um, it's fun in a, in a group this size and we're all kind of one big happy family in this place. Well, you guys are, we're over there. And, uh, but it's, it's, there's something cool about like um, a group where you could almost like know everyone in the room. And I think um, this, uh, I was going through a ministry transition um, into, from leading Salt Company to uh, youth ministry back in my early days, mid-2000s, early 2000s. And, and it was, uh, I was having a hard time with youth ministry and another youth pastor in town. He's like, Mark, here's the thing you have to remember is that ministry is relationships. And that's why your first year of ministry is going to be so hard because relationships take time. You can't just like microwave a relationship. You know, it takes time to develop. And, um, and so uh, he's just said, just like first year of youth ministry is kind of like being sick and throwing up. You just got to get it out and you'll feel better after it's over, you know. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, that's great. This will be a good year. But it was cool because actually that's, I found that to be true that, that ministry is, is about relationships and, and relationships take time. And, and I think that there's something cool about, about starting like this, where, where you guys can, can get to know one another. And, um, and my hope for us this morning is that, that as we uh, get to know each other, like it, it's almost like this pyramid where we're coming from our different places, but as we come toward Christ, you know, he pulls us closer together as we get closer to him. And this morning, it's, there's good news. We talked about this last night. God is putting humanity back together again. Ephesians 1.10, that, that he, God is going to bring unity, unity to all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says that, that Jesus destroyed the, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility and we won't get into the history of all that, but there's like this, these walls that divide humanity. And he said he destroyed that barrier and his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God. That's Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. So, so God is doing this thing. It's called church. And church is God's, new society of people that are brought together. And what brings us together, we saw last night, is, um, is, a, is a people saved by grace. This morning, the church is God's new society of people adopted in love, adopted in love. And then tonight we're gonna be talk, talk about called to holiness. So adopted in love. We were, um, we had a, a team that, that, went to China and one of the coolest stories that came out of, of China is this guy named Grayson. And Grayson had never heard the name Jesus before uh, this, this team went to China to, to spread the good news. And here, here's what's cool by the way, you know the word gospel? Um, is it's a Greek word euangelio, and it, it just means or euangelion, and means uh, good news, um, and we we call it good news gospel. Um, well, in in Chinese, the 
the Chinese letters translate gospel as the voice of happiness. Isn't that cool? Like a cool different way to think about the good news of the gospel. It's like the voice of happiness. And he had never heard the voice of happiness before. He'd never heard about Jesus. And, and so one of our teams, as they, were, as they were leaving, they had just met Grayson and they're literally like on the bus yelling out the window. I was like, I think it was Riley Veer, yells out the window, God loves you, Grayson. And that was, he said, that was when my God story began because I had never heard those words before from anyone. God loves you. Not just God loves you, but I, he had never heard anyone tell him that he was loved. And it was the power just the, that was unleashed in that moment as he began this journey of understanding the love of God for him. He's actually the pastor of the church now and he preaches in Chinese, it's super cool. Um, I got to be there last fall and see it. Um, God's doing some cool things. But, but just here's what I wanna say to m- this morning is you have no idea how much God loves you. Like you have no idea how loved you are this morning. And the closer I get to God, the more in awe I am of two realities. Number one, like the reality of my own sin. And number two, the reality of God's amazing grace. And it's like, I mean, if you could imagine like this, if this room was pitch black and I were just to like slowly turn up the lights, like the closer you get to a light, the more the lights come on, the more you start to realize at first if it's pitch black and we kind of just barely turn on the lights, all of a sudden you might see some shadows in the room and the brighter the lights get, all of a sudden you're starting to see, oh, there's a lot of people in here. And, and then you're starting to see like what, what people are wearing and co- now you're starting to make out colors and like the brighter it gets, the more you see. And, and, and I feel like I'm on this, we are on this pilgrimage toward God and the closer I get to him, the more I realize like how sinful I am and how much I'm the intruder of his glory and his good earth. But I also understand at the same time how amazing God's grace is. And I'm like in awe that God, you saved me. You saved me. And I think that's what Paul begins this letter to the Ephesians. He's like, guys, I want you to understand how amazing it is. And last night, some of you were wrestling with the first time, for the first time about a God, the reality of your own heart of, wow, the Bible says I'm, I'm dead in sin. I'm a slave to the world, the devil, the flesh, and I stand condemned before a holy God. Whoa, I've never heard that before. I've never thought about that. And now all of a sudden when you insert the cross of Christ between you and a holy God, all of a sudden your heart just is overwhelmed with awe and wonder. That's not just a trite Christian platitude that Jesus Christ died for your sins. All of a sudden it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. And so this leads the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3 to pray this prayer for the church at Ephesus. And it's my prayer for us this morning. Ephesians 3, 
14 through 21. If you have a Bible open there. This is what he prays. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ, that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church and he begins, for this reason I kneel before the Father. What, what's the reason? Well, it's a response to this grace that is, is bringing humanity together. It's breaking down all the divisions between Jews and Gentiles, males and females, like everything that divides us, racial barriers, generational barriers, socioeconomic barriers, like all of those things are getting torn down in Christ. He's, he's bringing together a new society under the head of Christ and he's saying, for this reason, I'm kneeling before the Father. Now that's significant because kneeling before the Father it's, we realize that, that in chapter one, he says that, that we've been chosen, we've been adopted, adopted into this family of God, which is an amazing thing. Talk to Drew about adoption and he'll be able to unpack that for you. Um, they've uh, adopted a couple uh, kids from the Congo, just an amazing story. But, but he, he talks about this, this fact that we have a father and so we're, this new society is like, it's like a family. And he says, that's why I'm, I'm getting before the Father. And um, let me just say this, because I think this is significant. Um, some of you grew up in churches where you, you said the Lord's Prayer. Did anyone grow up in a church where that was like every week you would say the Lord's Prayer? Um, I, um, some of you were, and that's, that's a good thing. Like there's, there's a good reason to do that, because I think that's something that we should all know and learn. And, and, that, um, and, and the Lord's Prayer begins, you remember, it's our Father our father. And, and so it's interesting that Jesus says like, when you pray, this is, this is how you should begin your prayer. And, and I, I find it interesting because sometimes when I'm uh, teaching a new Christian how to pray, like someone's like, how do I pray? I'm like, oh, just pray whatever you want. You know, God doesn't care what you say. Jesus didn't say that to the disciples. He's like, this is how you should pray. And he says, our, begin your prayer, our father who art in heaven. So I love that. And, and in fact, um, it probably comes out of this thing that uh, Jesus probably had a habit of praying uh, something like that, the Shema, every single morning and evening. He probably prayed something like the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of modeled after a Jewish prayer. And, and he had this routine of, of praying. And 
uh, I think he's, he's telling us this is, this is a good way to approach God when you pray is begin with our Father because you need to remember when you approach God that your identity comes before anything else that you're gonna say. Like when you approach God, you need to understand that you are loved, that you have a Father. Before you start going on about what you want and asking for requests, he's like, begin with our Father. That's... that's um, I try to make that the first words on my vocal cords every morning when I wake up is Father in heaven. Okay, so, so he says, I'm kneeling before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is praying, Father, give them more faith, more faith. Now, I find this interesting, and I, I want to unpack a, a couple ideas from this, because I think this is important. In verse 13, if you go to chapter 1, verse 13, look at what it says. It says, um, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Okay, so he's saying when you become a Christian, this is so important, God comes into your life. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and he dwells there. And he says, you were marked in him with a seal. It's like, you can't lose the Holy Spirit. He's a deposit guaranteeing the fact that uh, you belong to God. The life of God dwells in your soul. That's, that's an amazing reality. And he says, he says, so I want God through his glory to strengthen you with power through his spirit, the spirit that dwells in you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, so he said, you're marked in him with a seal, chapter one, verse 13. And in chapter 119, he says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Like, the power that took Jesus' corpse and raised it up to life lives inside of you. That's amazing. Okay, so he prays for more faith. Now, here's my question. If you already have the Holy Spirit and Christ in you, why would he pray for Jesus to dwell in you? Why? Everyone's 1002 alarms are going off. Hannah, shut your alarm off. Do you guys know what that is? It's like this little, I don't know, some kind of cult practice that we do. Um, no, it's uh, this thing actually Jesus um, said, in Luke 10, verse two, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers to go into the harvest field. And so uh, everyone sets their alarms for 10.02. So um, yeah, so to remind us to pray the prayer. So we're in the middle of a sermon, but we're on a salt retreat. So 10.02, let's pray. Let's pray right now. Okay, um, Lord, we pray that um, you would just raise up more workers. God, there's, there are way more people on the Minnesota campus that don't know you than that are here in this room, 
that do know you. And we ask that you would um, just begin um, a movement of a revival, really, of, of people finding Christ to be their greatest joy and treasure in life and to understand the good news that, that the voice of happiness that you are calling everyone to, to experience and know you. So raise up more workers, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so <clears throat> we need to plan better, Jordan, on these, like start the thing at 10.02 or something, I don't know, it's in the middle of the sermon. Um, so, so here's a question. So if you already have the Holy Spirit in you, why would he pray for Jesus to dwell in you? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 17, why would he pray that if the Holy Spirit is already in you? Here's, here's what I think is important to understand with this. Faith is not static. It's dynamic. Something that's static is stationary. It's fixed. It's not capable of action or change. Dynamic means it's changing, it's growing, it's alive, it's, it's moving. And so it's so important to understand that, that faith is not just a one-time past event, it's a, an ongoing daily walk with God. In Ephesians 1, he prays for them, this church, he says, I I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. Like, I want you to know Jesus better. And I think this is important for us because a lot of us have been through, uh, a lot of us have attended church in the past. We've, We've experienced some kind of religion, probably most people in this room, And there is a big difference, I think, between like cultural religion and relationship, like actual relationship. I think those are, um, that's an important distinction. And and I think Paul confronts that here. He's like, like, I want them to have a real uh, uh, relationship that's alive. Think about it this way, big difference between religion and relationship. If, if you were to ask me, hey, Mark, um, tell me about your marriage. How's your marriage? And I said, oh, it's great. I was married on December 18th, 1999. And yeah, like I stood up front, a bunch of people watched, like she walked down the aisle, like we said a few things and that's marriage. And you're like, no, like, how's your marriage? I said, no, I, I, seriously, that's it. I just told you, right? Um, here's the thing. Marriage is not a thing I did. It's a person I love, right? It's not static. It's not like a one-time thing that just happened back then on December 18th, 1999. It's like, what happened this morning when my wife texted me and we talked and we have a relationship and it's, It's dynamic. And some of us, our experience of Christianity is like a thing we did. Like I went to church. I did this thing at a camp. I had this experience. That's, guys, that's not what Christianity is. I think it's important for us to understand that Christianity is not a thing you do. It's a person you love. And this is so interesting because 
this church in Ephesus is a pretty important church in the New Testament. We, we hear about how it started in Acts. We, they get their own epistle, their own letter to them, and we hear about them in Revelation. And in Revelation 2, we find that the church, Jesus says, man, you guys are believing right things, good doctrine, you haven't compromised, but here's a problem, you have lost your first love. You held on to your beliefs, but you lost your passion. And Paul is saying, God, let their faith be real. Let it be dynamic, growing, expanding, alive. My prayer for you this morning is that, is that your heart for Jesus and your love for Jesus would be expanding. I think in a, a second important distinction to make here about the difference between religion and relationship is that there's a big difference between knowing about and actually knowing. This is, this is an important concept. There's a big difference between knowing about and actually knowing. Let me, let me illustrate this. People, a lot of people don't know this, but this is like a cool connection that I have, crazy connection. So, Warren Buffett, have you guys heard of Warren Buffett? He's the richest man in the US, maybe in the world. Um, and, and Warren Buffett is from my hometown, Omaha. And so, um, when I, it's, this is crazy, but when Warren Buffett dies, um, I'm actually getting part of his uh, inheritance. And, and here's how it happened. So when I was in sixth grade, Dude, just wait. When Warren Buffett kicks the can, like, I'm gonna buy you guys a building. It's gonna be awesome. Um, and here's, here's how it all happened, you guys. Check this out. When I was in sixth grade, we did this, uh, like, stock market exchange thing. We, like, got to buy stocks. You guys, I invested in Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, his stock, it was, I don't know how much it was worth at the time. It's, like, worth so much right now. And, and then, like, as time went on, um, I actually got to know him better because my friend lived like right near Warren Buffett's house. Um, it's like 60th and Dodge in that area. And, and every day when I would drive to my friend's house, like I would drive by Warren's Buff Warren Buffett's house. And I was like, as I drove by, I'm like, that's where Warren Buffett lives. It's not this huge mansion. It's crazy. It's like a, like his house is actually probably smaller than my house right now. It's just a uh, pretty humble house and whatever, but I would drive by and I'm like, that's where Warren Buffett lives. You guys, I, as time went on, I started reading about Warren Buffett's life and like his investing strategies. I saw a 60 Minutes episode on his, uh, his son and all about like his estate and everything. And guys, so when Warren Buffett dies, like I'm staking my life on the fact that he's gonna share his inheritance with me. Like, I'm crazy, right? Like, I, I don't actually, you'd be like, Mark, you, seriously, you don't know Warren Buffett. I'm like, no, I know all about him. Like, Mark, if Warren Buffett walks into this room, he doesn't know your name. He has no idea who you are. And guess what? That is how most people interact with Jesus Christ. They know a lot about him. 
And when they pass by the church, they're like, yeah, that's where I go to church. And they know a lot of things about Jesus. The problem is when they step into eternity, he's gonna say, uh, who are you? I never knew you. Because there's a big difference between knowing about and actually knowing. And it's interesting that this, this idea of actually knowing God is connected to the guarantee of our inheritance. You, who do you get an inheritance from? You get inheritance from people you actually know, from family. And this is an amazing thing that Romans 8 says that we, because we're in Christ and we know Jesus, we have a relationship with Jesus, we've been bought with the blood of Christ, that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We are the family of God. So I just wanna say this, when Paul prays for Jesus Christ to dwell in us through his spirit in our inner being, he's saying, guys, this is about a relationship with God. This isn't about just going through the motions of church, et cetera, et cetera. This is about knowing God. And then he says, verse, uh, uh, chapter three, verse 17, look, he says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, this, he's, he, he has two like word pictures here, rooted in love. This idea that, that your faith, if it's alive, it's, it's rooted, like think of a plant, right? Love is the soil that the roots of faith grow into. It's like love is, is the soil that, that the roots of your faith grow into. And he says, established in love. Established, this, uh, in Greek, this idea is to, to literally lay the foundation. It's the foundation of the building. So it's, it's the soil that the roots grow into. It's the foundation that holds the thing up. It's the most important part. He's like, it's the most important part of the building that holds the whole thing up is love. Being established in love, verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. This is, I think it's cool that he, he adds this, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. I think he's saying you can't experience God's love in isolation, right? It's, it's about being in life together, that you may together with the Lord's people experience God's love. to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I love this picture, wide, long, high, deep. God's love, he says, it surpasses knowledge. It's so beyond comprehension. What do you think of when you think of wide, long, high, deep, I immediately think of ocean, the ocean. Uh, I, I was watching this surf video um, a while ago. My, uh, one of my good friends lives in San Diego, super into surfing. He's like, Mark, you gotta see this. And it's called Step Into Liquid. And, and it shows like one of, the, um, one of the biggest waves that was ever surfed was like a 70 foot wave. And these giant waves are found 100 miles off the coast of Southern California like 100 miles west off the coast in the middle of the ocean. Now, how do you have 100-foot waves in the middle of the ocean? Well, here's, here's what they found. 
And these waves are only surfable like one week out of the whole year because conditions have to be just right. But, but check this out. Here's how the waves are formed. There are mountain ranges in the ocean that are way bigger than the mountain ranges that you can see with your eyes. Way bigger than Everest, way bigger than the Rockies. Like there are unexplored mountain ranges under the surface. And in this one part, 100 miles off the coast of Southern California, this mountain, the peak of the mountain comes within three feet of the water. So there's three feet of water and then the tip of a huge mountain. And when the the currents get just right, this, this mountain creates a huge swell and these guys are surfing in the middle of the ocean and I'm just like wait a minute and and you've heard this story who's the who's the guy that uh he's he's done some movies he he went to the bottom of the Mariana Trench who's who's James Cameron right is he's an avatar guy James Cameron and and he he built this this capsule or whatever this submarine that can like go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench guys the Mariana Trench is like six to seven miles deep. That's how deep it is. And the pressure of the water at that, at that depth is like, it's like a million tons of pressure per square inch. Like if you were to go down there, you would just literally go, just like, I don't know, you would just like disintegrate from the pressure. And, and I think of, of when, when I think about that, when Paul says the, the depth of God's love, he's like, I think he's like, there are places in God's, like if you were just to explore the love of God, you know, I think sometimes we're like on the surface with scuba divers, like, ah, oh, cool, coral reef. And it's like, you guys, we have no idea how much God loves us It's like an unexplored ocean of grace. And it's like so mind-blowing that there are parts of God's love you like can't even go there because your mind will just blow up. Guys, we live in the immensity and the vastness of God's love. And he's like, I want you to know it. Even though you can't know it because it surpasses knowledge. And then look how he ends verse 20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In verse 16 he said, um, he says he prays out of his glorious riches Here's what's amazing, out of his glorious riches. Drew talks about this all the time from Philippians 4.19. It's become a verse I love because Drew loves it so much. But, but uh, and I know that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, here he prays out of his glorious riches. He, he's praying for, he's like, God, this is so cool. God can give you power proportionally to his power this is this is amazing like like think of all of God's power he's like I pray that out of all of God's power he would give you 
that power to understand God's love and, and he can do more than you can ask or imagine. And this is interesting. This is a rare compound adverb and it means this. When he says God is able to immeasurably more, it's, it's like this. Infinitely more than, vastly more than more. That's, that's how God that's God's ability. Like he can give you vastly more than more. Super abundantly, far beyond your wildest hopes and dreams. That's what God is able to do. When you, when you are in your bed praying, you're like, God, I pray that whatever it is, whatever you're about to pray, God's ability is to do infinitely more than your ability to ask. And he's trying to get the Ephesians to pray big. He's trying to inspire the church in Ephesus to pray big because, why? The God of the universe loves you. And so when you come before God, you are loved. And so you've got this infinite love combined with this infinite giving capacity that God has and you combine those two and it's like God's just gonna do amazing things and I love this this idea and I want to illustrate this but this statement God's giving capacity far exceeds your asking capacity God's giving capacity far exceeds your asking capacity. Let me illustrate it this way. So Leith and I um, decided last year um, that we were gonna give Christmas gifts to our kids. Now you might be saying, you decided that? Like <laughs> that's what everyone else does. Well, here's the thing. Like our kids, when they were little, like we kept having kids. We have six kids and it's like, we couldn't afford to get all of them Christmas presents. And when they were little, it doesn't matter because they play with the box as much as they play with the toy. And we're like, why would, we'll just get them a box for Christmas and they'll just play with it. And so we never like really got our kids Christmas gifts. And then, you know, they got to the point where it's like they're going to school and all of a sudden all their friends are getting all these amazing things and our kids are getting nothing. And last Christmas we're like, okay, I don't know what's happening behind me, but, um, and, and we're like, well, okay, we're gonna get our kids presents. And it was one of the most stressful Christmases in the history of the Arendt family, all right? Because we were confronted with the problem that every parent has. And that's this problem. We have a limited capacity to give. And so my love for my children is great, I have a huge love for my children, but my capacity to give to them according to my love is limited. And my fear last Christmas was that Leith and I just can't deliver. What our, kid, what our kids want is more than what we can give them. Do you understand that their, their asking capacity, what they could ask for for Christmas, 
which is insane now because I used to go through little, uh, you know, my mom would hand me the, the ad from the newspaper and I would like circle the thing I wanted. Now it's like Amazon. They've got access to everything. So their capacity to ask is far greater than my capacity to give. But listen to this. But in our relationship with God, it's the opposite problem. It's the opposite problem. Because God's capacity to give far exceeds my capacity to ask. Isn't that an amazing thought from Ephesians 3.20? It's like, like God can do vastly more than you could ask or even imagine. Like his giving capacity far exceeds your asking capacity. And so here we are. Last night we talked about we are saved by grace. And this morning we have been adopted into God's family and he loves us so deeply. And I think the most important thing that I want my children to understand, and these are the last words that they hear every night from me, is I come to their beds and I whisper in their ears, I love you. And it doesn't matter what they've done that day. It doesn't matter if we're in a fight. It's just, I love you. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we could uh, just interview the Holy Spirit right now, um, and I said, hey, Holy Spirit, um, can you tell Salt Company like what your job is, what you do? And I hand him the mic and the Holy Spirit would say, my job is to testify to all these students in the room that know Jesus like how much God loves them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Like his job is to tell you how loved you are, how precious you are to God, how beautiful you are to God. We're, we're starting to hit the teen years so that whispering in their ear, I love you, starts getting a little harder and harder. And um, we've had some deep struggles in our family. Um, uh, we have kind of a, a bit of a history of mental illness in, in our family. And um, as our kids are hitting the teen years, um, some of them are beginning to struggle and some of these these uh, mental illness challenges are, are, are starting to surface. And um, we've had some pretty scary moments with our, uh, with our kids. Um, we've had some like trips to the hospital, um, suicidal kind of things, and um, just, just a lot of darkness and struggle and pain. And, and, uh, and there's been a lot of nights of me as a, as a dad just not knowing what to do, like how, what do I do in this situation? And my conclusion is simply this, I just want my child to know how much I love them. And there was one of these times where one of my children had had this kind of a, an episode and, um, 
it had gone on throughout the night and finally, you know, I'm able to get this child calmed down and we, um, and I just said, can I, can I lay with you in bed? And, and we were laying there and it's like, I don't know what time it is, one, two in the morning. And uh, I'm just laying there, just rubbing, rubbing their head. And I'm just, they were calmed down, started to calm down. And I just said, there is nothing you can do to make me love you more and there's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. You are my child and I love you and there's nothing you can do that will ever change that. If you are here and you are in Christ, you are loved and there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more there is nothing you can do that will make him love you less. And this idea of grace is that you are loved and there is nothing you can do about it. You're just loved. The way we're gonna end our time is we're gonna break off into some time alone with God and I want you to spend some time with your Father in heaven. And I want you to, um, you know, like we talked about last night where you just, sometimes you just, like life's going out of control, you're flying in the ditch at 80 miles an hour and life is filled with distractions and you need to just come to a screeching halt so you can hear long enough like the voice of God and maybe it's been buried in the trunk, right? And you, you just need to stop long enough to hear God speak. The Spirit this morning wants to testify to God's children that they are loved. And so here's how I wanna do that. Um, I want you to just, we're gonna break off and uh, we're just gonna end our time in quiet. Okay, we're just gonna break off into an attitude of quiet. It's not like, you know, even as there's like shuffling and you're closing up your Bibles and, and getting your, you know, all, all that stuff. Just, just try to be as quiet as you can. And you can go wherever you want. Um, you can walk around the camp. I, th I don't think it's raining. You can, you can just find a, a place if you, wanna, if you wanna kneel, if you wanna sit, if you wanna stand, if you wanna walk around. Just do whatever you want. Um, but I want you to go to Psalm 145 um, and just spend some time thinking about this psalm, like read it through. And maybe um, as you read it, you might want to, if there's something that sticks out, maybe one line from this psalm that you just wanna, maybe you wanna circle like one phrase. Um, maybe you wanna just read it a bunch of times. Whatever you just spend some time in Psalm 145 and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you through God's word. Okay, I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna break off time alone with God, Psalm 145. Jordan, what time do people need to be back? Or groups after that? Yeah, so, so after this, guys, you'll get into your small groups. And so just meet your small group leader um, where you guys met up last night. Right at about 11. Right if it's one or two minutes after 11, that's okay. About okay, 11. Okay, sweet. So you got, you got about 30 minutes to time alone. Let, let me pray for us and just transition us here.
Lord, I thank you that, that you've included us in this miracle called church, that this place where every barrier is broken down and, and we look up and we have one Father in heaven who loves us, who's brought us together and brought us into relationship as a family. And now, God, as we spend some time alone with you, I pray that you would testify to every single heart in this room that they are loved. And God, if we know who we are and if we can understand that, there's nothing else in this world that we need to hear to give us confidence or to relieve our anxiety or fear. God, we just, would you just come and, and just speak your love into our souls? God, as we explore, I pray that this would be a time of like exploring the vastness of this ocean of grace. And that some people this morning that are overwhelmed with guilt over something they've done in the past or a hurt of something that's been done against them, that maybe this would be a time where they can go there and they can just let you love them and show them your grace. Let this be a time of just experiencing your love. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. Let's go ahead and just, in quiet attitude, you can just break up, find a place.